0: so anxious to repeat, he will hold me fast. I give you enough time there. So my apologies for leading us astray and singing that wonderful wonderful hymn. Wonderful hymn reminds us a lot of uh, what we've been seeing, of course, uh, in the Psalter uh, together. Certainly this would be the uh, testimony of, of David uh, that the Lord held him fast. So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm uh, 16 uh, as we continue uh, in the Psalter meditating on God's Word uh, as we find it there. So, Psalm 16, let's ask the Lord to bless uh, the reading of His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can testify uh, to the great truth that you uh, hold us fast, Lord, even as we confess our weakness, and when we feel that our grip upon you is slipping, when our faith uh, grows cold, we thank you for that testimony that uh, your grip is never released from us and that you hold us fast. And so we thank you for the Psalms uh, that encourage us to remind us of this great truth and also encourages us to hold fast to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord as it comes to us from Psalm 16, a mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand... Uh, our pleasures uh, forevermore. This is the ever-living and abiding uh, word uh, of God. In the book of Acts, uh, on the day of Pentecost, um, the Apostle Peter uh, is giving a a sermon uh, to the church, and he is explaining to them, Uh, What they have just seen and heard, that is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the church. And um, the Apostle Peter in his sermon goes on to explain what it is that these folks have just seen. Why is it that or how is it that the Lord has uh, fulfilled his promise of the poured out Holy Spirit? And he begins to explain to them that the Jesus uh, whom they crucified and killed, God raised him up. And it was not possible for him to be held by death. Not possible, says Peter, because uh, David, about a thousand years before, had spoken of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, after quoting several verses from this psalm that we just read about the Holy One not seeing decay, uh, the Apostle Peter said this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, That he both died and was buried in his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He, that's David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that were all witnesses. Being, therefore, exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves uh, are seeing and hearing. It's an amazing passage there in Acts 2. uh, The Apostle Peter telling us that David foresaw uh, and spoke about uh, the resurrection uh, of of the Christ. I guess it shouldn't really uh, surprise us because, of course, there's other passages in the New uh, Testament that speak to us so wonderfully about uh, all that we're reading uh, in the Old Testament and in the Psalter specifically, uh, all point towards, uh, one way or the other, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you remember, of course, the Lord Jesus explaining uh, to the disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus as they were discouraged after Good Friday and uh, Easter Monday. They're not sure what's Uh, Going on. They've heard rumors about things. And Jesus appears to them in Luke 24, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, remember David was called a prophet, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Later that day, he's with just the Uh, with the greater uh, group of the disciples. And then he said to them, Jesus, that is, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets uh, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds uh, to understand the scriptures. So as we think back uh, all those years, as Jesus there with his disciples explains to them, all that was written in the law, all that was written in the prophets, and all that was written in the Psalms about him, you wonder, okay, well, what what Psalms might the Lord Jesus have unpacked for them so that their eyes could understand? Well, surely uh, one of those Psalms uh, would have been Psalm 16. Because Psalm 16 speaks then about the resurrection of the Christ, and in doing so, uh, the psalmist points us to the, uh, to the joy and confidence uh, of the believer. In your presence, verse 11 says, there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. So we want to consider uh, this resurrection uh, psalm tonight. Here in this psalm, David confesses that the path of life has been set uh, before him. Verse 10 Uh, You make, or verse 11, you make known to me uh, the path of life. So the Lord himself has uh, opened David's eyes so that he could see uh, and testify to the fact that there are certain truths uh, which when believed and received uh, into the mind and heart uh, are actively transforming us. And these truths, which are the revelation of the path of life, uh, lead to fullness of joy uh, in the presence of God. And Psalm 16, we can really break it up into two, uh, two, two portions, I think, tonight for us to consider. Uh, the first part of the psalm is really about um, David's confessions uh, and uh, commitments uh, on, on his part. Things he believes about God and uh, things that he's committed to because of what he believes about God. And then those confessions and commitments in the first eight verses are really the backdrop uh, for uh, David's expression of joy and confidence uh, that he uh, explains to us in verses nine through eleven, and then are quoted in Acts chapter two.
1: Some have uh, some have described uh, this psalm uh, as David giving expression to his uh, to his sheltered
0: life. Uh, I think it's Dale Davis who calls. This psalm, the sheltered life. He doesn't mean sheltered, that is from, uh, you know, like a monastery, not not facing things in the world. But the sheltered life in the the sense that um, uh, as he speaks about God as his refuge, David feels peace and joy, confidence uh, surrounded by certain truths about God. Uh, His life is sheltered in that sense by all these glorious things he believes about the Lord. And that protects him and guides him and gives him peace and joy as he lives in the world. So, first of all, what are David's confessions and commitments here in Psalm 16? Well, in verse 2, we have David's opening confession uh, of the goodness of God. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Uh, I have no good apart from you. Uh, There's actually three different uh, Hebrew words, Hebrew names for God in this first verse and a half. Uh, Preserve me, O God, the Hebrew word El, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, Yahweh, uh, you are my Lord, you are my Adonai. Uh, Preserve me, O El, uh, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. Or preserve me, uh, mighty God, you are my covenant God, uh, you are my sovereign Lord, you are my sovereign uh, one. And so David uses these various names, bringing out some of the different wonders of who the Lord is. The faithful covenant God, the sovereign one, the mighty one. But he's the Lord. He's the boss. He's, uh, There's no good, says David. There's no good apart from the Lord. Uh, could be translated, I have no good uh, beyond you. I have no good uh, in addition to you. In other words, David is saying, all that is truly good comes from the Lord uh, himself. Interesting that David doesn't find any good simply in himself. Uh, he doesn't look to himself, his good works, or his worship, or his sacrifices, or his health, or his family, or his money, or his job, his intentions, his heart, or his motives, uh, even his faith as the source of good, but only uh, only uh, God. As James writes, every good gift and every perfect gift... Uh, Is from above. I have no good, no good uh, apart from you. This is his confession. Asaph uh, in Psalm 73 expresses something similar. Uh, Remember this when he says, Whom have I in heaven? Uh, Whom have I in heaven but you? Kind of like Asaph saying, Whom have I in heaven that gives me hope and joy and confidence but you? You know, when I think about heaven, whom do I have there uh, that gives me all You. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth, said that Asaph, that I desire besides you. Psalmist in Psalm 43, 4 says, uh, God, my exceeding joy. No good apart from you. This is probably very similar to what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8. For he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus, uh, my Lord, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So David here, first of all, he's speaking about, the, um, about his submission to the Lord. He's his covenant God and so forth. But also about the, the sufficiency uh, of the Lord. Uh, one of the Reformed confessions, the Belgic Confession, and its description of who God is. Has this wonderful phrase that refers to God as the overflowing fountain or the overflowing source of good? That's who the writers of the Belgian Confession believe God to be. He's the overflowing source of good. It says David, "There's no good, uh, no good apart from You." Now, I don't think this was the heart of, for instance, the uh, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? You know, he's obviously rebellious. Father welcomes him back into the home after he comes to his senses. But the older brother, who's always been with the father, as you read that passage, right, you come to the end and you come to realize this this son, who's always been in the father's house, doesn't have warm, joyful, loving feelings for his father. He resents his father. He doesn't see his father as the overflowing source of good. He resents him. Thinks he's very uh, stingy. And doesn't really love him. Not David. David, when he thinks about the Lord, uh, no good apart from him. I think this is true. You will never give yourself, and I will never give myself, wholly or truly to God, unless you, like David, are convinced of this truth. No good apart from him. Uh, We might think, oh, Uh, I desire marriage. That will make me happy. No. No good apart from God in that marriage. A young person might think, oh, a sexual experience, sexual pleasure. That will, that surely, that'll, that'll bring fulfillment. No. No good apart from God. Uh, Friendships. Influence. No good apart from God. Work. uh, Usefulness. Possessions. No good apart from God. Health. Home. Children. Surely all these will break. No. No, no. You're convinced there's no good apart from God if God's not in it, if God's not uh, the most important part about it. So this is David's confession. So that's a wonderful confession, certainly something we we look to. And uh, even as the Apostle Paul spoke about the Lord Jesus, to know the surpassing worth, no good, apart from Christ or in Christ. Now, as a result of this commitment to the Lord, uh, verse three then uh, speaks of David's delight uh in uh God's people. And in verse four, David's commitment to not walk in the ways of those who reject uh, the Lord for idols. Verse three says, As for the saints, so after he makes this confession about no good apart from the Lord, as for the saints in the land, uh, they are the excellent ones uh, in whom is all my delight. And some say, well maybe David is talking about the angels here, because that would make more sense. Uh, makes more sense to delight in angels. Uh, But even as he uh, he writes, as for the saints in the land, it seems pretty clear that when he's talking about holy ones here, he's not talking about angelic beings. Uh, He's talking about the people. uh, He's talking about the people of God. Love of the Lord, seeing that there's no good apart from God, leads. David says to this confession, too, uh, that he takes delight in the people of God. As John says. Uh, In the New Testament, you cannot say you love God unless you love the brothers. Now, here's a very practical, uh, very practical test. Do you love the Lord like David? Well, you will love uh, the company of those who love the Lord. That is, you will love other people uh, who love the Lord. And in fact, uh, uh, David says... uh, Uh, They are the excellent ones, in whom is all uh, my uh, delight. Uh, He delights in the saints. He delights in the people of the Lord. Uh, Dale Davis uh, puts this much better than I ever could. Uh, He put it this way. You may think this point reeks of soft-headed idealism. That is, if you're a Christian, uh, you delight in the people of God. Says Dale Davis, boy, that sounds kind of... Really? Um... But the Bible, he says, is quite realistic. It knows that the saints do not always act saintly. A quick read of the New Testament epistles easily supports this contention. And it's true that the folks who sometimes infuriate, aggravate, and frustrate you the most are fellow believers. In fact, he says, some churches seem to have self-appointed... This is why I'm reading what his says rather than what I say. Uh, He says, in fact, some churches seem to have self-appointed whiners who perpetually point out how hurtful and uncaring the particular fellowship is, uh, says Davis. But it's it's a lot like one's own children. They often have teeth missing, runny noses, and dead toes in their pockets. Uh, yet one wouldn't trade them for anything uh, because of whose they are. <laughs> so with the psalm, he says, it won't let you off the hook. If Yahweh is your Lord, uh, you will prize his people. Otherwise, uh, something is wrong. We can learn from this, right? David doesn't even say, you know, if you love the Lord because there's no good apart from the Lord, I tolerate the people of God. <laughs> he doesn't say that, or uh, you know, I put up with, you know, I put up with other church members. I don't like it. Um, he says, no, I I delight in the saints in the land, other holy ones, those who are set apart by God uh, because they're dear to Him. Um, he delights in them, and I delight in them. Uh, too, despite their warts, our warts and blemishes. So this is all things that David is committed to, but there is more. Uh, verses 5 through 7 of Psalm 16 speaks of David's commitment to and confession uh, of the Lord's providence and the Lord's ongoing work of direction and counsel and instruction in David's life. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You will hear some imagery back. Think of Joshua and the dividing up of the, the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Uh, indeed, I have a beautiful uh, inheritance. So no good apart from the Lord. I delight in his people. And uh, uh, the Lord is my, my chosen portion in my cup. It's as if he were saying the Lord is my, is my food and drink. My, the, the allotment to me, remember the, the 12 tribes? Every tribe got a certain amount of land except for the tribe of Levi. Because they were the Lord's priests. Their portion, uh, we're told there, is, is the Lord himself. And so, as David reflects on that, uh, uh, what the Lord has done for him, all he can think about is how everything that the Lord has done and provided for him, uh, his direction and counsel and instruction, uh, has, been, has been a blessing to him. Here he's expressing his, his contentment in the Lord's provision. Uh, for him, that's what lot means, or the lines, or inheritance. What the Lord has done in my life, um, I, I can see the Lord leading and directing and and guiding. And uh, He's my portion and cup. That is, He's all I need. Um, he has provided Himself to me. The greatest blessing, of course, God gives us is Himself, and that's why David speaks this way: The Lord is my chosen portion. Uh, and my cup. I don't love the Lord uh, for the gifts he gives me. Uh, I love the giver uh, of the gifts. He is my portion uh, and my cup. The point is, David is content in the Lord. Like the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, David has learned here, in whatever circumstances, uh, to be content. Uh, whatever his lot is, uh, he is content in the Lord. And you think of the hymn, It Is Well. Uh, With my soul. There are many reasons today uh, why someone might be discontent, even professing believers. We can be discontent with politicians and government, discontent with laws, discontent with each other, discontent with the weather, discontent with inferior haircuts and lack of certain pleasures. Uh, We need this sense of restfulness in the Lord's uh, provision. Uh, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant. Now, you think about David. You think pleasant places. Uh, what about what about Saul and what about uh, what about those trying to kill him? Well, uh, he sees the Lord's provision for him, even despite uh, all the trials. And so this Lord then, who satisfies David, provides for David, sustains David, also instructs David uh, and uh, counsels David. Verse seven: I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart uh, instructs me. How does the Lord counsel us? Well, later in the Psalms, uh, we read this in Psalm 119, 24, for instance. Your testimonies, uh, your word, are my delight. They are my, they are my uh, counselors. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. There are so many potential counselors Uh, in our lives today as we seek to live for the Lord in this country. So many seeking to give us counsel and advice. Uh, Here David says, no, it's the Lord who's my counselor. And how does he do that? Well, he does that through his testimonies, through his word. I feed on that counsel uh, all the time. Uh, And... Uh, that counsel is, 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 is in my heart. And so in the night, even as I'm upon my bed, uh, what I have uh, put into my head during the day of the Lord's word to me in the night as I rest upon my bed, my heart uh, reviews all those things, all those testimonies of the Lord. And even in the night, my heart is instructing me about the truth and what is real. No matter what I've seen throughout the day, the word of God reminds me uh, of who God is, who I am, uh, what uh, is eternal and what. Matters most, Uh, and so the Lord is the one who is his his counselor. While these are David's uh, confessions, his commitments, and then secondly, these truths lead uh, to great uh, joy and uh, confidence for David because all these things are true. Uh, No good apart from the Lord. He delights in the saints uh, in the land. The Lord is his portion. Uh, Everything the Lord's done for him has fallen. Uh, He confesses in pleasant places. And the Lord continues to give him counsel and his heart instructs him. Because of that, uh, he has great joy and confidence then uh, in the Lord. Well, how do we see that? Well, David expresses great confidence in verse 8 by how he he lives. This is what he does. Verse 8, I have set the Lord then... Uh, always before me. Now that makes sense because verse uh, 1, 2 had told us his confession was, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. So it makes sense then that if you're, that's your confession, if that's your commitment, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to set the Lord uh, always before you because, says David verse 8, he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So here is... All his confessions and commitments, here's his, here's his, his confidence uh, that then uh, he's in commitment. He's going to put the Lord always before him. And because that's true, because the Lord's at his right hand, he will never be shaken. Now, when you think about the right hand, you could think of a, uh, uh, you could think of a court setting. And let's say you're under, under trial or something. So if you have, the, uh, uh, if you have uh, uh, the Lord at your right hand, you can think about a court setting. Uh, the Lord will speak for you. Um, uh, you can think about uh, uh, other situations, perhaps where that uh, where that makes sense. To think about someone being at your uh, at your right hand when you need help, when you're going to war. Um, there's other times where this this image is so so beautiful. But David confesses then uh, that he lives his life corum uh, deo, that is, he lives his life before the face of God. He always has the Lord. Uh, In his sights, he commits all things to him. He brings all things before him. And because he's at his right hand, um, because he's near, because he's my refuge, um, this is what follows, says David. I shall not, verse 8, be shaken. Or we can put it this way. I shall not be moved.
1: Now that should sound familiar to you because at the end of Psalm 15, remember? Uh, This is how Psalm
0: 15 ended about the one who dwells uh, in the presence of the Lord, um, who walks blamelessly. The end of verse five said this, he who does these things uh, shall never be moved. And here, uh, David says, because of the Lord being near me at my right hand, uh, always before me, I shall never be shaken. I shall never be moved. That is, he's saying there's no circumstance in life or even in death that can destroy my confidence, my joy, my security. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. Nothing can shake me when the Lord is at hand. That's, a, that's, that's some kind of confidence. right? That's some kind of trust. In the Lord. Where is this all coming from? While his heart rejoices and so forth. Verse 10 For you, this is his confidence then, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You're not going to abandon me. David had joy and confidence ultimately because he knew that the Lord, who was his refuge, fountain of all good, his food and drink, his provider, his instructor, ever present. Uh, he's got this confidence. Why? Because he knows that this Lord who's always before him has power over life and death. He would not abandon him, David, to Sheol. That's a reference to in the Old Testament, uh, referred to as the really the realm of the dead. All who die go to Sheol, or realm of the dead, where the dead live on. The Old Testament knew of life after death, of course, but what that future life looked like uh, was not fully revealed until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But David knew the Lord would not uh, abandon him or let his Holy One see corruption. He had known to David the path of life. Fullness of joy is in his presence. Pleasures, delights uh, forevermore. And so you think perhaps of Psalm uh, 37, Uh, Where David writes this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you uh, the desires uh, of your heart delights forevermore. So in other words, David, heart, flesh, his whole being, his whole person, he says, I'm secure, I'm rejoicing because I know that my soul and body will not be abandoned by his Lord to death and life and joy and pleasures forevermore uh, are are his namely the joys and pleasures of the presence uh, of the Lord remember Job will say something similar in Job uh, 19 that in the end uh, he will his his flesh will be restored and, and he will see him with his own eyes he will see him so even in Job there's this Understanding of, of, of some kind of resurrection. And Job being able to somehow see yet the Lord. But pleasures forevermore are David's in the presence of the Lord. In effect, this, of course, is what uh, the promise was uh, from the lips of Jesus to the criminal uh, on the cross uh, who cried out to him when Jesus said, Truly I say to you today uh, you will be with me uh, in paradise. And so the thief would not be abandoned to the grave, and neither would be. But Peter and Paul tell us that this psalm is not ultimately about David, uh, but about Jesus. This is about joy and confidence and rest and security for all believers uh, because of the truth uh, of the resurrection. You remember? Uh, we read from Acts chapter 2, after the Apostle Peter had quoted from this uh, psalm, uh, he uh, helps the people there understand what Psalm 16 is all about. Brothers, I, must say, I may, must, may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he, the writer of this psalm, both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So Peter there, saying to the folks, David died, he was buried, you know where his tomb is. And if you dig up the grave, you will find a corrupted body. Go and look. As if he were saying that Paul puts it clearly in Acts 13, 36 for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. That is his body decomposed. But says Paul in Acts 13, he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So who was David talking about in Psalm 16? Well, David says Peter was a prophet. He knew that God had promised that one of his descendants would sit on the throne. And he foresaw and spoke of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so his words uh, here in Psalm 16 were actually pointing ahead to this Jesus, Peter says. This Jesus whom you've crucified uh, was not abandoned to the realm of. Of the dead, that he has been raised, and he reigns, and he and he lives, and his flesh did not see corruption or <coughs> decay. And you say, "Well, hold on, though. Wait a minute. Is that really in Psalm 16? Is that really in Psalm 16? This pointing towards the Lord Jesus?" Well, you might have noticed how this psalm goes. David throughout this psalm speaks of my Lord, my delight, uh, my lips, uh, my chosen portion, my cup, my lot, my heart, my right hand. My whole being, my flesh, my soul. And then he says, your holy one. Now, that surely is striking. You go through that psalm again. It's my, 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 my. And then your. David is not simply uh, an individual. David is God's chosen king. And from David, a descendant of David would come who would sit on the throne of David forever. And this, says Peter, this is Jesus. David spoke of him. David spoke of his death. David spoke of his resurrection. And what does this all mean then for David, uh, for Peter, and the people who were hearing him there on the day of Pentecost? Well, Peter summed it up this way. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So, friends, if God's Holy One will not see corruption. And if he has been raised from the dead, then all those who belong to him through faith can have that same assurance that David had that he would not be abandoned to the grave, but that he would know fullness of joy in the presence of his God. This was David's confidence. You will not allow your Holy One to see decay. And then that meant for David that he knew that there was there was joy in the, in, in the presence of God. There was the fullness of joy in the presence of God. And pleasure's Forevermore in his presence. Paul puts it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4:14, 4, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen uh, asleep. So because we know that Jesus rose again from the dead, we also know that he will bring with those with him those who have fallen uh, asleep, and we too uh, will know. Eternal pleasures at the right hand of the Lord, that he will raise us up, uh, that we uh, will not be abandoned uh, to the grave. In fact, Ephesians 2 says we are made alive with Christ and we are raised up with him already. And so with David, we can say, I have set the Lord uh, always uh, before me. If there's no good apart from him. This This is what the Christian is to do, to set this Lord who has Uh, As we read about from the Apostle Peter, who has conquered sin and death and hell, we set this Lord uh, before us all the time, Uh, before our eyes, before our mind, before our heart. He is the one who has conquered the grave, and because he has risen, we too uh, rise with him uh, through faith uh, in the Lord Jesus. This is a very wonderful passage that speaks about very practical living for the Christian, of putting uh, the Lord before our face uh, every day. Uh, how often don't you go into a, uh, don't you go into a, uh, a restaurant and, uh, you might see a, a couple there and you think, oh, they've, uh, uh you know, they're going to have a nice romantic meal here at this restaurant and, and you sit down and you look over five minutes later and, and both of them have put something before their face. Um, but it's not the Lord. Um, right. And it's not each other even, uh, but it's a phone, um, they put before their face and, uh, you can be in a place of worship and, and, uh, ...fellowshipping with people and, and rather than uh, looking at one another, speaking to one another, so we'll have a phone in front of their face. There's a lot of things we put before us in our age, it's our phones, uh, but we're not supposed to put our television in front of our face, politics in front of our face, problems before our face, the stock market in front of our face, or sports in front of our face all the time. The Bible says, and David says, I, I put the Lord always before me. And when we do that, uh, like David, uh, we will have joy... Uh, and we will have confidence uh, in the Lord because the one he spoke of uh, is, Peter says, is the Lord Jesus who, who has come, uh, who has died, uh, who has risen, who was not abandoned to the grave, uh, but in fact who has conquered sin and death and hell and has risen. And he is Lord uh, and Christ. And so we put him before us that we too might know uh, the joy, of, uh, the fullness of joy uh, in his presence. May that be true for you uh, and for me as we go out to serve the Lord uh, even this week. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight from the psalmist. We thank you, Lord, for the grace and mercy you show to us uh, every day. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that even as we read read this psalm together, Lord, that we uh, know that this psalm is ultimately pointing ahead to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, Lord, we see in the life of of David, Lord, a wonderful uh, testimony of what it means to walk with you, to recognize that uh, we have today no good apart from you, uh, that because we love you, we love your people. And so we thank you that you do give us delight in, in one another. We thank you that you counsel us, that uh, our heart instructs us as we meditate on the word of God. And because we know you as you are, revealed to us in the scripture, uh, Lord, we take great joy and and confidence in you as we have you, uh, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, not losing sight uh, of the one who's called us to follow, the one who's conquered sin and death and hell. And because we put our faith in him, we know that because he lives, because he has conquered the grave, uh, death will not hold us uh, either. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have this confidence of the psalmist uh, even tonight as we go uh, into this week as well, but, uh, because we put the Lord before us, that he's at our right hand, uh, that we will never be shaken because we belong uh, to him. Give us, Lord, that confidence. Give us that joy that we so much need uh, to be your faithful servants uh, in this time, in this world, uh, in this age. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.